Welcome back to the last section here of Strayer's Chapter 2 and where they're doing a comparison of Mesopotamia and Egypt. Uh, just as a, a note here, I did my notes a little differently in that's this section in that I did a full comparison chart of Mesopotamia on one side, similarities in the middle, and then Egyptian qualities on the right side. And so I can kind of see clearly where they have similarities and differences. If you didn't do this this way, that's not a problem. But make sure you kind of have some type of highlighting or something in there showing here's the Egyptian things, here's the Mesopotamian things, here are maybe some things they have in common. So this is broken down into three sections here. We have kind of environment and culture, uh, we have cities and states, and then we have uh, interest uh, and exchanges. And so we'll kind of go through each of these sections here uh, together. So starting off, if we look at Mesopotamia, uh, because of the two rivers that run through, the Tigris and Euphrates, uh, because they're unpredictably flooding and their floods are violent, uh, they don't view the war world very orderly. They see it as disorderly. Uh, and they're constantly fighting over goods and their afterlife is very kind of depressing and not, not very good. It doesn't look like a place that you'd want to go and vacation in. Um, this also also or this also stems from the fact that they're in the middle of the crossroads of Asia. Europe and Africa, so there are constantly foreign invaders coming in, and so they don't view things as, as stable. Um, and so, in comparison to Egypt here with that, the Nile River is very fertile, just like the Tigris and Euphrates are, but it floods, floods regularly because of the monsoon winds that bring rain uh, to uh, Africa, Central Africa, and the savannas, which then helps uh, or leads to the river flooding. So, because it's regular um, and because their uh, region is more secured from invaders because there's a de desert to their uh, east, west, sorry, a desert to their west. There's only a small area uh, the, uh, that the Egyptians can be attacked from in the northeast uh, going into Mesopotamia and there aren't many invaders from the south. Uh, it's fairly stable. And uh, so they view life more positively. Uh, the afterlife is definitely more positive and um, good things will prevail is kind of how they look at things. Uh, without the Nile uh, flood, uh, there would be a lot of, uh, they would struggle. It, it wouldn't have happened. Um, you would see more of what happens in Mesopotamia where there is this salt erosion that happens because, um, or salinization that happens, not salt erosion. There's a lot of erosion there as well uh, because of how damaging the floods can be. But they have more salinization because they have to use um, these irrigation systems to bring water far away from those rivers, whereas Egypt's floods um, bring the water and then also takes out all the salt that builds up over there over time. So Egypt is more fertile for a longer time. Uh, in Mesopotamia, we see uh, more and more fertile regions turning into uh, deserts uh, or more arid environments, which both have kind of in common that they're both around or surrounded by arid environments. So that's the environmental and cultural section. If we then go to cities and states, uh, Sumer uh, and Mesopotamia had dozens of cities that weren't really united, uh, and uh, they had kings that ran them. But these kings are all individuals and want to take over more territory and become richer, wealthier, and more known, and so they constantly fight with each other. And that leads to them not being united and not being able to stand up against major... Um, uh, other major civilizations like the Akkadians, the Babylonians, and the Assyrians who come in and take them over each in their turn. Uh, the last one being the, the Assyrians being the major one there before we get to kind of the classical era with the Persians and the Greeks and then the Romans and then it, it keeps on going on from there.
Egypt, on the other hand, uh, had two different kingdoms, Upper and Lower Egypt. Uh, upper being actually what's in the uh, south of Egypt, and Lower being what's in the north of Egypt. It's kind of reversed, but you got to think of how the river flows. Uh, up current is going to be the upper part. Down current is going to be the lower part. And those two kingdoms will merge together, and uh, that will last for about 3,000 years of them being uh, combined. Um, there are times where the kings uh, fall apart. So there's the old kingdom, there's the middle kingdom, and there's the new kingdoms or the new pharaohs uh, with times in between where there isn't a strong pharaoh or, or leader at the head of uh, the whole kingdom. But for the most part, there's a lot of stability. Uh, people don't live in these giant walled cities. Instead, there aren't really any walls, and mo most people live in villages uh, around the Nile where they can farm. And um, over time, because of the the collapse of certain dynasties and things like that, the pharaohs will lose power over time, uh, and more and more the elites will, will take up the reins. Uh, local elites in different areas will, will get more and more power as we go through things. But um, the pharaoh, as long as they're in charge, has, has the most power and can tell people a lot of, um, can really tell people what they want to have happen. Uh, and so these guys are pretty different in that aspect, and there really isn't a lot of similarities other than you have a kind of a monarchical um, relationship or, or government, okay? Uh, then we've got the last section, uh, which is interactions and exchange. Uh, so with Mesopotamia, you have trade extending to India and Turkey, uh, Egypt as well. Uh, they gave, uh, you can see the spread of ideas and stuff like that with uh, the concept of an eye for an eye. That comes from the Babylonian um, Hammurabi's Code. And the Jews pick it up, and you can see it in the Old Testament for them. Or well, that's if you're speaking in a Christian perspective, uh, it would be the uh, Tanakh, if you're uh, talking through the Jewish, um, uh, their holy book. Um, and then, or the Hebrew Bible. And then you have the Phoenician writing system that will spread uh, beyond uh, Phoenicia, which is just north of modern-day Israel, being Lebanon. And that goes to the Greeks, which then in turn goes to the Romans, and that becomes our basic alphabet. So our alphabet comes from this uh, Phoenician alphabet there. Uh, Egypt, on the other hand, uh, has a mix of trade with Mesopotamia and Sudan. Uh, they, so Sudan's just south of Egypt, and so it's up and down the Nile, and then it's to Mesopotamia. And then through Mesopotamia, they can get some of the things from abroad, but it has to kind of come through them. They're not going through to India on their own or anything like that. Um, uh, trade with, uh, what else do we want to say here? So the, the last kind of major thing there that I have with just the straight trade is that um, Egyptian culture will be influenced by the Mesopotamians a little bit. Egypt will mes or influence Mesopotamia a little bit, but really more where we see Egypt mes or, um, influencing people is the Nubian culture, where they become very Egyptian, and when they actually take over Egypt for a short time, they view themselves as Egyptians reestablishing the, the, the order of things. Um, and then the last thing, uh, new technology that comes into Egypt will allow them to control a larger territory uh, for a longer time. The big one there is the chariot, uh, but also they, they adopt weaving practices, ironworking, um, they bring in olive trees and pomegranates, all those things from the Middle East. So they're able to gain all those things uh, through the trade. And so the last thing here uh, with this section is the commonalities between them. Uh, and both both don't just do interregional trade or um, intraregional trade of 
trading within their kingdom. It also goes beyond their kingdom to different regions of the world. And so they do use these long distance trades. And most of this trade is about luxury goods or new technologies coming in. Um, the Indo-Europeans, so people from kind of the, the Caucasus regions of uh, Central Asia, um, will send, uh, will bring horses and they'll be adopted by uh, both the Mesopotamians, the Egyptians, and then that will lead to chariots being created and eventually um, these will even spread beyond their normal trade routes here of between Egypt and Mesopotamia or Egypt and India, I mean not Egypt and India, but Mesopotamia and India to China. We'll see China even adopt chariots or that technology from, from here. So those are kind of the, those are really the major points here in, in this chapter. Uh, in the reflection, there are some great things there as well. Uh, just reiterating things like that. We have these inequalities today because of these ideas, these ideas of nationalism come about, um, but not nationalism that we think of today, uh, where it's like pride for America and that you're all patriotic and stuff like that. Um, but they, they did have their kingdoms that they were loyal to. And um, there aren't, like, if you think of today, like, we have set boundaries of what the United States is. Uh, we have a border on the north, a border on the south. Uh, and we know where those are. Um, back then, there isn't a set border between the city of Ur and Iraq or Egypt and Mesopotamia. Uh, they were always fluctuating and just depending on who controlled what. Uh, so those are some of the kind of the last big things to take away from this. Um, and uh, next week, uh, or next time, we'll be taking a look at Chapter 3 and beginning Unit 2 of AP World History.